Revelation chapter 12 once more. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 12 as a beginning point. If you recall from last week, chapter 12 began with a vision of two signs. A woman who was giving birth, whom we determined to be not just Mary, but the church itself. And a red dragon who was there to destroy or consume the child. The dragon was identified as a rebel, an angel cast out of heaven. In verse 10, John wrote, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation of the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Father, we ask that you might bless this reading and help us to see and understand lessons that are here. Let us also look again into other parts of Scripture to remind us how we are to respond to the evil in this world and even to the evil one. We should revere and respect our Father, and we should pay close attention to the trends and temptations of this world around us, and we should be able to be faithful to our Father and to our Lord and to his presence in our lives. Help us glean from your word the wisdom and truth that we need for this week. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing that I think we should be able to hear and understand and take great solace in is a statement, nothing special about it, no one special who wrote it, but I just wrote it, placed it out, just a statement that would clarify how we stand in Christ. Those who live in Christ, those who are saved, redeemed by his blood, for those who live in Christ, we may rejoice because the enemy, Satan himself, is already defeated. And I think many of us would say amen and hallelujah. I really, I am glad of that. However, outside of Christ, those who are lost in the world, the, the enemy has control. And that should kind of get our attention and make us stand alert and aware of what's going on in this world. For those who live in Christ, we can rest assured the enemy is defeated. For those who live outside of Christ, the enemy has control. In Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul said, You who were dead in your trespasses and sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together in him. We once were lost, but now we are saved. We are in Christ. We are alive in him. Our salvation is secure. The enemy has been defeated. 
God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All of your sins, all of the guilt, all of the legal, the spiritually legal demands of God's law against your life are left at the cross once you receive Christ. That should make a Presbyterian shout hallelujah. So though, for those who live in Christ, the enemy is already defeated. That's what John is talking about here. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they, talking about us, we are the they. Not individually they's, or she hims, or him hers, but us plural. They have conquered him, Satan, by the blood of Christ. We trust in what Christ has done for us. We have victory in him. That's how we conquer. They love not their lives even under death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. But listen carefully. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Let me remind you, we know who the devil is. He once was a glorious angel in heaven, one of the three archangels. And there was a battle in heaven among, between him and Michael because Lucifer was the first name, name of the Satan, Satan when he was the devil. He was the angel of light. He was the most glorious. Isaiah describes him. Ezekiel describes him in great detail. But because of pride, Lucifer attempted to exalt himself to become like God. And both Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 24 tell us that he was cast out. And we see that again throughout Scripture several times. John described the event in Revelation 12, verses 8 and 9. War arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, when John mentions this in Revelation 12, it does not mean that that's when it happened. He is using this describing this devil which we deal with now today for John's time and in our time is that devil, Lucifer, who was cast out. But what I want to point out here In verse 12, the devil was come down to you, down to the earth in great wrath. And again, in verse 9, chapter 9, verse 1, 
fallen from heaven to earth. And in chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, he is thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him to earth, to earth, to earth. Is he not in hell? Makes you want to think. Second Peter 2, 4 says that if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. Again, Jude, almost the same words. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains until under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. The hell of gloomy darkness does not appear to be the final hell of fire and brimstone because there is more described of that kind of hell later in Revelation. We will get to it. Scripture gives us a strong indication that his influence is here on earth. That he is allowed or given permission to exercise some limited power in this world. Many of you are very familiar with the book of Job and how the story begins, the account of Job. In chapter 2 of verse 2 of Job, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Satan went before the Lord and said, just think of your servant, Job. He does not worship you. He is not faithful to you for nothing. You bless him with abundance, with prosperity, with health. Just let me have him and he will curse you. And God permitted him. You may touch everything he has, but do not take his life. And yet Job remained faithful. Satan cannot, Satan will not, will not attack and will not move unless God permits. I remember when I was a youngster, some of you close to my age might even remember Flip Wilson had a comedy character. He would dress up. It was funny back then. He would dress up as a woman named Bernadette. She would talk about all the temptations she faced. She said, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil doesn't really make us do much of anything. We do it on our own accord. The devil doesn't have to bother many of us, especially if we're lost. If, if a person is lost and not saved, then he is subject to his own pride, his own bondage, his own lusts, his own cravings, his own appetites. The devil doesn't have to bother with people like that very much. He cannot, he will not attack, he will not move unless God permits, but he does have some authority on the earth. Satan is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere at all times as God is. Satan is um, not omniscient. He is not all-powerful as God is. So he cannot tempt 
all lost people or even very many Christians at the same time. He can only be in one place at one time. Now, he has his own army that can be assigned. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Just one example in the New Testament, the Lord himself was on his way to the cross and he was talking with his disciples in John 14. He said, I will, not lo I will no longer talk with you much for the ruler of this world is coming. He wasn't there yet, but he was on his way and the Lord said, he has no claim on me. That's one point of theology where I disagree with C.S. Lewis in the Narnia Chronicles. Do you remember in the first book, The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe? C.S. Lewis suggests that the debt was owed to the White Witch, the devil character in the book. That's not true. Christ didn't, the Christ figure in the book, Aslan, did not in that story, died for a theological error. In true biblical theology, the debt is owed to God the, the Father, not, not Satan. Christ died in order to fulfill the law, the penalty of the law you broke. Does that make sense? He died to pay your debt that was owed to the Father not to the devil. All the devil wants of you is to be in rebellion against God like he is. That's his effort. He wants to come between the object of God's affection and God himself. He wants to thwart the love and devotion of his children and draw them away any way he can that's his effort in order that he might inflict as much pain upon God the Father. He has revenge and pride and arrogance in his heart and mind. Maniacal is not the word for it. He doesn't have to personally attack or tempt anyone or influence anyone. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, verse 2, you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's why I said very early on in this message that those who are outside of Christ are already under his control. The preacher, I thought you said that not everyone is tempted by him. Give me a moment, we'll get there. I'll answer that question. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 also say, In their case, the God of this world, meaning the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of Christ. The lost person doesn't need to worry about the devil because there is already enough of the devil in him or her. The lost person doesn't need to worry about the devil. 
because there is enough, already enough of the devil in him or her. Those of you who are parents would understand children will very quickly, very early in their life demonstrate that. All of my children in diapers, each and every one of them, stay in the yard. Don't go past the sidewalk. You've all experienced, and they will go right out there, waddle out there, little turn around and look, put their foot out of the yard. And turn around and look. Our children willingly disobey. Why? Because, and people don't like hearing this, but it is true. They are born in sin, just like you and I were. They are little sinners. Dr. Vadi Balkan calls them devils in diapers. And it takes a loving heart of patience and compassion to recognize that and still very early on begin to bring the light of truth into their hearts. Teach them scripture. Teach them the truth. Teach them about the Lord. I hate to say it, but lost grown-ups demonstrate this more. Their own pride, their own lust, their own greed, their own time, their own energy are all given to self. And it becomes the influence of Satan and their own pride and their own lust, their own greed becomes kind of a symbiotic, synergistic, cooperative, or mutual effort in this life and in this world to exalt themselves and refuse to give glory to the Lord. And it's tragic to say that if Christianity in the church is anything at all, for most, for most Christians, and I do believe I'm speaking to the choir here, for most Christians, Christianity in the church is nothing more than a good luck charm. I want it there as kind of my spiritual parachute. If I don't need it, that's great. But if I do need it, it's there to help me. But Christ wants everything in your life. Christ wants your heart. He's paid for your soul. He wants everything in your life. And we must not turn away. James 4, verses 4 through 7. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you suppose it is of, to no purpose that the scripture says he he, God, yearns jealousy over the spirit that he made us to, made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. Do you remember he opposed Lucifer for his pride? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourselves to God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. For those of you who live in Christianity, the devil is defeated, the enemy is defeated. For those who live outside of Christianity, the enemy has control of your life. That's why the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The word he uses for sober-minded is a word in the Greek from the root word nepho, which means be calm, even-tempered. Self-control. The word for watchful, or excuse me, the word for, yeah, for watchful, or in another translation, vigilant. That word comes from a Greek word, gregario. Sound familiar? You know anyone that's gregarious? Do you know what makes them gregarious? They pay close attention to the details of your conversation. They are very warm. They want to draw out knowledge of you. They want to get acquainted with you. They're gregarious, and you kind of, you know, he was really interested in me, and or she was really interested in me. I, I, she was very gregarious. But here, in this context, he is saying, pay, a close, pay attention to the details. Pay close attention to the details. Be aware of the spiritual things going on in this world. So you are to be sober-minded, calm, even-tempered, in control. You are to be watchful, vigilant, gregarious. Pay close attention to the things that are going Use some discernment. Some of us enjoy films or movies where there is an action movie where there is a hero. You know, the good heroes always seem to be strong, calm, watchful. They never panic. Always prepared always aware they know what's going on. They know the situation around them. They know the environment they are in and they are always ready, but you never can't, they're not. But then whenever something happens, they spring right into action. I know that's fantasy. I know that's fiction. I know that's entertainment. But it's the same kind of thing he is calling us to be as Christians. Be aware of the spiritual environment around us. Be watchful. Watch the details. Because Satan is on the prowl. And we see it more and more these days. He's speaking through a lot of politicians. He's speaking through a lot of government officials. And I'm not preaching politics. The Apostle John was was doing the same kind of thing. He described a seven-headed dragon... Everyone knew then that he was talking about Rome because Rome was built on seven hills. He knew 
who he was talking about. They knew who he was talking about. He was warning them that the devil's going to work through political forces, political influences, government entities. And we see it more and more and more. Be very aware. Be alert. Be ready. Use some discernment. you know why or how you were able to live that way? You were able to live that way when you live in him. When you rest and trust in his work for you, when you rest and trust in his redemption and salvation, when you trust in his word. Salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Satan has been defeated, and we have conquered him. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony, we can trust in that promise. We can trust in that security, that victory that Christ gives us. We have defeated him. Therefore, rejoice. O heavens, and you who dwell in them. For those who live in Christ, the enemy is defeated. For those who live outside of Christ, the enemy is control, in, has control. The enemy may have control, but his control is short. It is limited. It is brief. He cannot move unless God gives him permission. And he is, if he has not yet, I suspect he may have. He, he, Revelation tells us he is going to give him, going to turn him loose near the end of the age before his second coming. And I've mentioned this before in other classes in church, We've all seen much of what's going on in this world. We've all seen it on different continents and different wars. We saw it in Europe during World War I and World War II. We've seen it in communist countries. We've seen it in South American countries. But this is the first time we've seen kind of government's attempt to control everything. It is now worldwide. Something is going on. But we can rest assured of the promise that the ruler of this world is judged. He's already judged. He's already condemned. And all who cooperate with him are judged and condemned as well. So God is calling all who are lost to repent and receive Christ as their Savior. That's necessary before it's too late. Some practical questions. I kind of anticipated this, been wondering 
further this hasn't really been an expositional message it's been more topical what about demon possession or is anybody these days ever possessed by demons scripture gives several examples of demon possession we could say uh, I'd like to say that in these days in these modern times it is rare but it is possible even in modern times and some of us may have seen some people who are really so far out of it that they they it looks suspicious but a lot of the severe cases we have just kind of deemed as some form or type of mental illness The late Jay Adams, who was, who developed the counseling program for Christians and wrote books about competent to counsel and the Christian counselor manuals, was under the conviction that all mental illness was a result of unrepentant sin. That was his conviction. I don't know that I would say that all mental illness is a product of unrepentant sin, but I think that many of them are. And sometimes they will look like someone is controlled by something that is unreasonable. Giving yourself over to sin or sins or devoting your life and energy to ungodly behavior and taking pride in that certainly will open you up demon possession giving yourself over to sin or sins or devoting your life to and energy to ungodly behavior and taking pride in that enjoying it being boasting about it that will open you up to all kinds of pain and hurt and possession you might ask can a Christian be possessed one who is truly saved no. God will not ultimately share a child who belongs to him with the devil. However, and here's a big however. I've got it in here in capital letters and it's bold face type. However, imagine that in front of your eyes and pay attention. A Christian can be influenced by demons or the devil. A Christian can be tempted to disobey God and his word. When a Christian pays attention to an idol more than he or she should, they are cooperating with Satan. They are inviting the influence of the devil in their lives. You might not think that Christians, that there are very many idols in this world because no one goes down to the corner temple and bows to some piece of stone or wood pornography is an idol you open yourself up to that you're cooperating with the devil you're cooperating with an industry of evil greed is an idol the love of money, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy, but the love of money, 
is the root of all evil. Pride, pride is an idol. And a lot of people don't recognize it as such. But pride is the very thing that brought Lucifer down. And pride is the very thing that destroys a lot of Christians. C.S. Lewis once wrote, Pride or self-conceit is opposite to the Christian called humility. According to Christian teachers, the worst vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It, is, it, was though, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is a complete anti-God state of mind. When you let pride exalt itself in your own heart and your own mind, even if you are a Christian then you're going to start thinking that I deserve this or I deserve that. And then those other things become your idols and you begin cooperating with the influence. And then all of a sudden that's consumed your life and the church is nothing more, more than a, luck, a good luck charm. And the word of God is never even considered anymore. The Apostle Paul of the church at Corinth wrote, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You might think it is so hard to resist temptation. Why doesn't God just take the temptation away? You can go back and study the history of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. In Deuteronomy 8, the Lord told Israel twice that they were in the wilderness to be tested in order that they might know what was in their own hearts. And sometimes God allows temptations to come near us in order to test us so that you might know your weaknesses so that you might know what's in your own heart. What do you love more, this world or the Lord? If you love this world, the Bible says you're an enemy of God. If you love him, you're his child. So sometimes the Lord allows tests in our lives to test our faith, to strengthen our faith. It's kind of like throwing the 98-pound weakling into the into the gym and tell them to lift weights. If you're weak in faith, God's going to allow some temptation, some testing, some trials into your life in order to strengthen your faith. You've got to get in there. You've got to pump some spiritual iron and stay away from the sins that would be destructive. Many of us love Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. We love that until we see it as a test. Hebrews 12, 10, and 11 tell us they disciplined us for a short time talking about our parents as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. The author of Hebrews is comparing the discipline of our parents 
to the discipline of the Lord. Our parents want us to grow well and do well and to be obedient. So does the Lord, our Heavenly Father. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And again, in James 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. In 1 Peter 1, 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we see we have victory in Christ. We have victory over the devil already. All we need to do is lean upon him, trust in his word, believe his promises, and live accordingly. And I know that's hard to do. When we've still got our feet in this world and our hearts want to be there. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down. He is vanquished, defeated, finished. He who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even to death. Therefore, rejoice. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for your word and its power and its truth, and we pray that as its light shines in our hearts and our minds, that we might be able to live in this victory that we find in Christ. Help us to be faithful to him in all things. In his name we pray. Amen.